fascinating gadgets, gizmos, and gear-based technologies. Welcome to FGGBT. Now, this is the show that takes your favorite fictional science and technology, and we make it a reality. Who does that? We do. We are the Brain Trust. I am the analytical mastermind, Daniel J. Glenn, with me. The physics phenom, Dr. Michael Denon. Great to be here, Dan. And for the audience keeping score, I just want to like promote you here. You're batting a thousand on recommending awesome shows to watch, even the really weird ones that I would never watch otherwise. Um, today, we're obviously talking about one I would have watched anyway because it's right up my alley, but I still mm -hmm. appreciate the recommendation. I was not aware it was out there because... Apparently, I'm locked in a cave. <laughs> no, it's okay, <laughs> Denon. I appreciate that. You know, you are the master of physics. If you give me a physics, physics equation, I know it will be an earth-shattering, history-altering physics equation. And as the master of film and television, if I give you a recommendation, it is going to be a pop culture phenomenon. Uh, and we have the pleasure of working with a pop culture phenomenon of our own, and that is our enigmatic engineer, Ben Seepser. Ben, where are you recording from this week? Dan, I seem to have found myself in some sort of high-energy physics laboratory. I'm not exactly sure what they're up to here, but I'm excited to find out with the help of Dr. Denon. Well, I think Denon's going to get to the bottom of this, uh, because this is a movie about time travel, guys. And we've done a lot about time travel. I don't think we're going to get into the weeds on this, but there are a few things that I wanted to talk about, because there are some unique elements to the story, which is, you know, an electromagnetic accelerator uh, and a mathematical algorithm. Uh, and I think all algorithms are mathematical, uh, but that is constantly shifting in plasma. There's a lot of gobbledygook here, Denon, that I want you to kind of weed through. Is it is there some validity to this or is it techno jargon babble, the techno gook? Well, I think a lot of it is techno babble, but you have to understand that techno babble is critical for disguising the actual reality of what you want to do so you can keep it out of the hands of the evil enemies or perhaps keep it out of the hands of the brain trust who would then figure out time travel. Um, there right. is a core deep piece here that I really, really like. I do like this idea of an underlying algorithm that has been coded and saved in this sort of crystalline hardcore memory um, in a way that at the moment when his, his, his children come back and talk to him, the, you know, the, the lead doctor or scientist doesn't even know it's about time travel yet. So mm -hmm, it's sort of right. undiscovered implications. But he realizes in that moment what will lead to time travel and what he needs to, to, to sort of take out to prevent it from ever happening. So there, there's some good stuff here, Dan, that we might get into. But the core is technical ba techno babble is a great way to disguise your secrets from those who would, you know, steal them from you. I mean, that's supervillain versus superhero, right? I mean, that's you got to protect that stuff. Uh, we say it at the end of every episode. Now, one of the things here that I think you might, and Ben, you might, you might, this might appeal to you as well, is there's this interesting concept that physics is about writing equations that your children will solve. Uh, and there's this great movie. If you, you know, as I want to, I'm going to take another swing here, Denon. I'm going to offer up another movie that I think our audience should check out. And that's The History of Time Travel. Uh, it's this fun little documentary uh, that, that is, is really, really 
well done. And in it, you know, there's a scientist who creates the basic equations for time travel, uh, but then his kids are the ones who solve it and actually go back in time. And in some ways, this is similar, but different. But what about that? What about that generational equation? Is that ridiculous? Is that something that we do? Uh, Den, I'm curious if you've ever written one of these and Ben, if you've ever solved one. So, you know, it's really interesting that you bring this up, Dan, because today is a historic moment as we record this in the world. Mm -hmm. um, it's earth shattering news. Never thought this would happen. But today is the day that the first ever paper was published with both Michael Denon and Kimberly Denon, definitely a relation, as co-authors on the paper. Um, it does is this not, real? Are you serious right I, now? I am deadly serious. And it is it's today? not a physics. Today. Today is the wow. day. It appeared on wow. the internet, which if you watched our previous episode, now knows it's permanent. Happy hour to erase you. Both of you now, right? Now, yeah. the interesting thing is she is not a physicist, um, but we actually did collaborate on some very interesting work. Um, to answer your question more directly from a physics equation, there are many, mm -hmm. many famous physicists, father, child, um, because they're older, unfortunately, mostly father-son um, pairs who do get published, who often the son is solving the work and following in the footsteps of the father. Um, and, and many things do take generations to solve. So even if it's not your children, in physics, we always talk about our grad students as being our children. Um, and we talk about, you know, our, our parent and our grandparent um, scientifically. So, yes, mm -hmm. many of these things are generational and you are just making the next step of progress. Um, I don't know if that's true in the engineering world, but it's definitely true in the physics world, Dan. I, I think it's it's true in a way in the engineering world, too. But I, I don't know if I've ever called anyone my, you know, engineering father, but... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but there, there's it's the same sort of thing because a lot of both in the sciences and in engineering uh, discoveries are always built on the works of the past. You can't have microchips without the the semiconductor physicists of the 50s at Bell Labs. You can't have the semiconductor physicists of Bell at Bell Labs without the chemistry that was done 50 years before them to figure out how semiconductors work at all. And so there, there's this there's this constant generational development in in the sciences and the engineering world that are just a part of how this stuff works. You know, we talk about this in our in some in like our Gilligan episode recently, where how could you rebuild technology. And the problem is it's very hard to do that because you're always standing on the shoulders of the people who came before you in their earlier discoveries because technology builds on itself. It doesn't just happen. Well, may I make just one small addendum to what you were saying? Uh, is that I don't think we have the microchips of today without the semiconductor scientists of the 1940s. And we don't have the 1940s semiconductor scientists without the crash at Roswell with the with the, the computer <laughs> chips on board. Uh, just a small little adjustment that Denon, as our ancient aliens expert, you, there's some validity here. Well, I thought you were going in a completely different direction, Dan. I appreciate that. I thought you, this is where I thought you were going. You know, you don't have the semiconductor scientists without the chemist, which is where Ben went. And you don't have the chemist without the famous alchemist Merlin the wizard um, to set the whole thing in motion back in, in the Middle Ages with King Arthur. Um, so yeah. I, I don't know why you stuck Roswell in there, Dan, when we have Merlin to start the whole thing off. 
<laughs> well, you know, I stuck Roswell in there because I'm doing an episode on fascinating nouns about the Roswell crash and for the 75th anniversary this year. And how can I do a shameless, a shameless plug doesn't exist without doing the episode, Denon. Uh, everything's, <laughs> everything is connected. Uh, and, and, you know, speaking of everything connected, the thing I actually liked about this movie, and to me, the thing that made it unique was this connecting idea that there's a fixed time where you are supposed to be. And that's kind of like this strange temporal anchor in this movie that I, I really enjoyed that. You know, you can change certain things and time will kind of reconcile. Uh, but there are certain events that cannot be changed and that have to happen. I really enjoyed that, not only because it's like one of my favorite uh, games called Chrononauts, uh, which is a card game where you have laid out all the time travel and you flip cards to, to adjust to make your perfect time. Uh, that's a great visual representation of what's going on in this movie. But I thought it maybe it held up scientifically as well. Well, I think, Dan, it actually does in a, in a slightly important but subtle way, because what I got out of it is a little bit more... Um, nuance than like fixed events that never change. It was that you mm. personally had a fixed time in which you belong. And these people who time traveled were out of their time. Um, and I really like that um, because, you know, the best sort of physics understanding of time travel is what we call closed time-like loops, where you basically are moving through time along your own personal world line, and you manage to bend it around in a circle and come back to where you were before. And if you think about these loops, when, when you sort of leave that original path and you leave everybody else who was journeying with you, you can imagine this strange local bending of space and time that wants to snap back and, and mm. almost like a rubber band and bring you back where you were. So like imagine we're all going out in one direction and you peel back a little piece of that, which is you, it's really going to want to snap back and be with everyone else. So I think you're right. You, 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 you keyed in on what I think is the key interesting physics idea in this is the fixed time you should be in. Um, we've already solved time travel in plenty of episodes. I don't think there's much to add here to this, but but that element was certainly new and unique and interesting. Well, and you keyed in on the important thing, which is that I'm right, Denon. And yes. so I think we're, we're really focusing here. Uh, so Ben, you got to take us home. Speaking of algorithms and other films we'd, we've talked about, I, I immediately thought about Tenet, which has mm -hmm. backwards time travel or time living <laughs> way more yeah, confusing weird, yeah. but but what's important <laughs> about walking. it is the, the fixed pointness of it right and what mm -hmm. i think is interesting about tenant in as opposed to this is in tenant everything has always happened right and what's very fascinating about the adam project is that things haven't always happened and i love this inquiry with of young adam to old adam of whether or not he remembered meeting his older self as a child and this whole idea of the fixed point that he will remember when he goes back and that somehow it won't adjust in the time, his memory won't adjust in the timeline uh, while he's there. That to me was a really fascinating thing that it, it's a very strange situation where some things do propagate through the time travel, but other things don't. And that, that was a real mind bender for me watching this movie. 
You know, and I think that that's a really interesting point, Ben. And the thing that uh, I want to I want to keep talking about that because I think that that memory that's snapping back is kind of interesting. But I want to quickly talk about the coordinates part here because he travels back in time. And I was curious, like, how do coordinates work when you're traveling through space time? Right. If you're traveling through space you know, you can, on the map, you can do longitude, latitude, you know, we have GPS, these complex number systems uh, that you can find very specific points on Earth. Going through time seems difficult, and as much as I, you guys know I love the DeLorean, who doesn't love just punching in, you know, 2002, whatever, (laughs) I I feel like things are much more complicated. The universe, as much as we would love it to, does not really function on the way the Earth revolves around the sun or spins on its axis uh, as a way to, to delineate time. So I'm curious, how would we anchor time coordinates going back and forth? Because I think that will lead us into, um, you know, this reconciliation of memories and different uh, temporal paths. Well, what I like about this, Dan, is it's sort of the core physics ideas are what we would expect if we could ever come up with time travel, which is a wormhole represents bending space-time itself. Space and time are connected as a single set of coordinates. Time is a little bit different. It has a minus sign, but that's a technicality. Um, And Mm. creating the wormhole to go to a different location is just like walking down the street. So to your point, time is just another coordinate and you really just need four of them. I think what I'll, you know, what I will just say is I'll channel Ben here briefly. The reality is that actually the hardest thing is finding the right space coordinate for the earth at the time you want. Right. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. so the fact of the matter is right right now, this moment in time, we know all our space coordinates. Um, And if we're just moving around the Earth, we don't have to really worry about them too much. But the Earth is moving. The sun is moving. The universe is moving. Not the universe. Sorry. The galaxy is moving. Um, The universe may be moving, too, but that's less relevant. We're inside it. Um, And so you're you're right that this is what I love about it is calculating space time coordinates is a real thing. You can't just travel back easily to time. So the fact that he misses um, is is not so shocking. The fact that he hit anything that was the earth is the shocking part. But the fact that he missed where he wanted to (laughs) go is not as shocking. Well, I I think that's actually an interesting question because he talks about he wanted to go further back, which would imply he wants to go further in space in addition to time. And I'm wondering if part of why he didn't get back as far as he wanted to be is maybe he couldn't lock on to the further back point because he didn't have the energy to to travel Mm. even further in space than he he needed to. And so perhaps it's just a matter of that's as far back as his uh, time space uh, fighter jet could go because (laughs) it only had enough energy to go in space, you know, to 2022, was it? (laughs) Instead of 2018? I think that's what he was trying to do. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, also what's interesting, Dan, I'll just briefly say, because I'm much more interested in the questions you're asking about the, the fixed time and so on. But I will point out, you know, one thing we do know is that wormholes are very hard to stabilize. So mm-hmm. often in these movies, like, oh, he was lucky, it closed behind him and it shut the other people out. Um, but I felt that gave a very realistic flair. That's how I would expect wormholes to behave. They're very unstable. They de- don't last long. It's just barely good enough for you to get in with your fighter jet and not the next person coming. 
Okay, that makes sense. I mean, I enjoyed the, the wormhole part of it. It's also quick and easy if you talk about time travel, you know. Uh, the one thing that I thought was also interesting about this traveling outside of your time was that the people who die, like, evaporate into mist when they die outside of their time. And there is an instant reconciliation of that uh, at the end. I won't do any spoilers, but we do see it happen instantaneously when it comes to death. Uh, that I thought was kind of interesting. Uh, ben, I'm curious, as our death expert, what do you think is really going on in that situation. Yeah, I mean, that's the really fast, interesting, and I think, unfortunately, contradictory thing about this film is that existence seems to be an instantaneous correction to the timeline, but mm -hmm. but memory isn't, or, or your actions aren't. I mean, th that's kind of part of the problem, right? Again, we don't want to give away the ending of the movie, but if, if the events of the movie happen then none of the movie should happen. And so there, there's this kind of a problem of, of like open loop time where uh -huh. how, do you, how do you have things that partially correct if, if the timeline can correct at all? And mm -hmm. it, it's one of the problems of the paradox. It's one of the paradoxes of time travel where if you have a story or if you have a timeline where the things that were done during the time travel haven't always happened, it's you really can't reconcile how any of it could have happened. And hmm. yeah, well, I, I would slightly disagree with you a little bit there, Ben, from a mental picture of time loops. You know, when we mm -hmm. think of these as actual physical different loops and paths in time, mm -hmm. what, what you realize is you, you can have sort of multiple things going on at once, which is, you, you let, let's just take Adam here. Adam has lived forward in time um, and think about, uh, you know, a roller coaster with a loop in it. And now Adam goes through the loop, the loop, and, you know, now there's a new track on your roller coaster, which is you've come back to where you started, but you're not on the same track anymore. You're off on the side, you know, and, and all you need is a loop to loop with a switch, right? And you've created two parallel tracks, one that doesn't have the loop in it and one that does. And what time travel does and what the universe does in this world is at some point, those various loops, the tracks that are on the other side of the loop merge and correct and end up in the correct way. And so this is where I have my new theory, uh, Dan, people will hear it here first, the, the Denon theory of self-correcting time loops. Um, <laughs> that once you make a time loop, they're only stable for a certain amount of time. And so yeah. you can briefly have an uncertainty in these two forward paths, and you can make a movie that has the story. <laughs> and only at the end of the movie do the relevant self-correcting time loops basically break off or, and disappear into the ether. It's sort of like in a foam when certain bubbles mm -hmm. collapse and then they're no longer there and the foam reconciles itself. And I bet you really <laughs> wondered how I was going to sneak foam into this episode, Dan. <laughs> I, I, I never wonder. I just sit back and enjoy the ride. It's like being on a roller coaster, Dennis. Exactly. So uh, <laughs> I'm going to just throw out there for the universe the Dennis self correcting theory of time loops. It's sort of like the Hawking theory of, you know, the shielded um, in singularities that no singularity can be a bare singularity. So I'm just trying, I know it's, it's I know it's very egotistical to care, compare myself with Hawking at this moment, and I've not actually done any math, but I claim it's an equivalent <laughs> theorem. <laughs> We're rewriting the physics books, Denon. Uh, will you usurp Hawking? I don't know, but I think this theory is the first step. 
It certainly is. I, it, one giant step for me, if not one for <laughs> mankind. <laughs> Without question. But how do, so how do people evaporate into mist? I don't think we quite answered that question. Uh, and I want to get to that quickly before we, before we move on. So in my theory here, Dan, of, of the self-correcting uh, time loops, I will just briefly point out, as I said at the beginning, we're each kind of our own thread in this loop. Um, think of the loop as a ribbon folding back on itself with multiple people coming out. And when you get killed, basically your thread entirely unravels. So think of that thread in your T-shirt that you pulled on and suddenly it's not part of your T-shirt, right? It's sort of an equivalent analogy. So you're a foam bubble that evaporated then. Is that what you're saying? You're the exactly. foam bubble that went away. Wow. Okay. I didn't realize that we were the foam. We were the bubbles. Yeah, uh, we are the bubbles that's, popping. That's- that's okay, the sad that makes news. a lot more sense. Well, and then that, I mean, in this movie, they do start bombing people willy-nilly, which is a little crazy. Uh, but, you know, what, what I realized when watching this is that this is a movie about how people change or stay the same throughout time. And to me, that was really the fascinating part of this. You know, the time travel stuff's interesting. We've done it before. But, you know, I started, I wondered something, is that what would it be like to go back and meet yourself when you were younger? And would you want to do that? I mean, human beings, we change over time. You know, we change, we grow, we mature uh, for the most part. I'm broad strokes here. Uh, But, you know, but I wonder, would you want to go back and meet yourself? And, you know, of course, I'm going to go to Ben first because we know that there is one particular moment in time that Ben would love to go back and change. uh, And that's where he was uh, depanced in front of the nation on national television. (laughs) Uh, during a karate tournament and, you know, uh, maybe something changed and I remember it differently. I don't know how and why, but what about Ben? Would you go back? Would you want to meet yourself? Would you want to tell yourself that it's coming? What would you want to do? Yeah, well, that's definitely a different version. Uh, You know, I think we need to think about maybe what we talked about in uh, our previous episode about Spider-Man, about how stories can change as they they are retold. But they get more accurate with time as well. Yeah, I more accurate with time. Or maybe they just yeah. changed and we don't really recall. Uh, <laughs> right. But certainly I, I think I can, uh, I, I would maybe tell myself to stay away from my sister during that game of freeze tag. Uh, sure. that, that would clearly be the proper uh, thing to tell myself. You know, it's interesting that you bring it up, Dan, because I really did like that in this movie they dealt with this challenge of our correct memories of childhood which again as as you know Ben properly mentioned if you have not listened to our Spider-Man No Way Home episode we solved that problem but I I have noticed lately I've reached that age maybe it was the episode we did on how to make me like function better as I get old that made me aware of my age Um, (laughs) but yeah I've reached this age where I really wonder it's amazing and you actually mentioned this Dan about something from your own childhood like not remembering actually delivering newspapers. It, it, yeah, it, it's weird. It, it, it's fascinating how much of my childhood I just don't remember anymore. And like, yeah. it's not like, oh, I forgot everything from being one to five and five on I remember. It's completely sporadic. Yeah, and absolutely. what was great about this movie was when the atoms are talking and the, the atom from the future has a completely different memory of how the father behaved than the atom who's experiencing it at that moment has Mm -hmm. and you know Mm -hmm. so how our emotions can change our memories um you know we always think it's more shocking for the past self to meet the future self and see what's going to happen yeah this movie made me wonder is it actually more shocking for the future self to discover everything they have wrong about their past (laughs) right 
Yeah, that's an interesting point. I mean, you know, I think we all, you know, a lot of people who want to do time travel, right? Like the people, the the chrono, I think there's a term like the chronotists. I don't know, that's probably not a word. Uh, but I think there are time scientists and a lot of them are inspired by and want a need to go back and change something, uh, you know, or to, to do something like that. And I think, you know, a lot of what you're saying is true. We don't remember things exactly the same way. But one of the points that uh, this is an error edition submission section from our last episode. But one of the points I wanted to make was is that when it comes to memory, there are certain things, these fixed time moments, you know, in this movie, he has a fixed time moment where he has to get kind of the crap kicked out of him, right? They say that this is important that this happens. And I think that there are those moments in our life where that pain and suffering molds us into who we are. However, we remember it, we may have hated it at the time, but if you delete them and that goes away or you go back in time and change it, those ripple effects, how does that affect your memory, the person you were? You know, I can think of two or three things that if if that didn't happen to me, you know, would it have happened if Ben hadn't been, you know, stripped naked in front of the world? Would he be the scientist that he is today? We don't know how important that moment was to him. Uh, and I think that, that those are the things that, that really I was thinking about when I was watching this movie. I, well, I have a question, you know, like what if there's that defining moment that you hold on to that makes you who you are in the future and you come back yeah. and discover it didn't actually happen? Um, and you go back to the future. Are you now no longer going to be the person you have been? Um, so I'm, I'm now getting point. really confused, Dan. <laughs> uh, that's a great point. Uh, I mean, it's a great point. What about you, Ben? Is there any moment like that that you'd want to that you that you can think of? Well, I can certainly think of a lot of uh, events in my life that you know butterfly affected through um, for the better, and I would be very worried about you know undoing them. Like if my by chance, my guidance counselor hadn't told me to go to the the first robotics meeting uh, mm-hmm. in my high school when I was a freshman. You know, who knows where I would be now? I, I you know, it, it's things like that. It's it's little chances. You know, if I'd never met the uh, the internship recruiter from NASA at that robotics competition that that spring, would I've I, you know I wouldn't have known to apply for the NASA internships. That kind of kicked everything off. So, you know, there's this yeah. whole, you know, we, we talk about these fixed points in times, you know, and unfortunately for Adam, it's getting beat up by bullies. But I think yeah, we right. all have these defi- these defined moments in our lives that kind of snowballed into everything that has happened. In- you know, Dan, hmm. as a classic example, right, if, if we had never met, if you hadn't discovered me, mm-hmm. I wouldn't be on a mug. Right. <laughs> right. And, and that would be, be a total disaster. I mean, a mess. it would be a mess. So I, I wouldn't want to go back and change that moment, Denon. Just like I wouldn't want to go back in time and change the moment that I uttered the immortal phrase, biology is nature's technology, because then I was able to put it on a shirt that's going to live through time. I wouldn't want to come back to that moment and not have this shirt exist, um, because then people wouldn't be able to buy it on the FGGBT merch store, uh, which is FGGBT.com backslash merch. Yeah. And Dan, I wouldn't be able to hydrate with my awesome FGGBT water bottle if you hadn't emailed your alumni group, which went to my cubemates, uh, roommates, <laughs> girlfriends, uh, and eventually got us to meet. <laughs> well, that is, that is a string. That is a quantum string if I've ever heard one. Well, you know, and I think this is interesting because, you know, we talk about these ripple effects and going back and seeing yourself. You know, I can remember uh, being in seventh grade, being one of the tallest kids in my school. Uh, and not making the basketball team. I remember being in eighth grade, 
trying out again, being the tallest kid and not making the basketball team. And, you know, a lot of people, you could be discouraged by that, but I was a weird kid. And I said to myself, I'm going to spend the summer learning how to play basketball. So uh, I would shoot and shoot and shoot uh, and did, you know, worked really hard and then made it and made the basketball team freshman year made it to junior varsity sophomore year and then varsity later my sophomore year. And I saw the benefits of hard work, which that changed everything. You know, if you were to go back in time and change that moment where I had that realization that hard work can get you things, who knows what would happen? Uh, And would I recognize myself? I don't know. I don't know that I would want to go back and meet myself because I think you're right, Denon. Things are not how you remember them. And what if you discover that that moment that inspired, what if I discover that it wasn't hard work uh, and that someone, you know, made a favor and put me on the basketball team? Yeah. That would change everything. I don't, so I'm saying here, I'm a hands-off kind of guy. I think I don't want to go back and change anything. Uh, I think the things happened the way they happened and maybe it was for the best, maybe it wasn't. Uh, but I'm going to hold my hands up to fate and say, I'm letting you do it. Well, you know, it's interesting also in the movie, Adam did not want to go meet himself either, right? Right. That was partly happened because he had been shot. Now, it turned out for him actually to be an interestingly good experience um, because, you know, I really feel like when they end up back at the end, and I'm going to try and say this in a way that's not a spoiler, it's a net positive for everybody um, involved, Mm -hmm. young Adam and old Adam. Yeah. And there are po- there are positive benefits. And in most time travel movies, you see the positive benefits. You know, th- there's a lot of parallels to Back to the Future in this movie and in that movie as well. You know, there's a big change and <laughs> everything comes out positive. I think when you start messing with the delicate balance, the web that is your life, as much as you want to do the right thing, maybe you will, maybe you won't. But I think our lives, just like nature, it's a delicate balance, guys. And and I think it's, it's, it's tricky when you start futzing around with stuff. Well, you know, I, that's definitely true, Dan, but it's also even just true just living your life going forward. Um, mm-hmm. and, and that's where I think this mental image of you having your own little world line, your own little time path, whether your path ever curves all the way back and circles on itself and causes, you know, a self-protecting, um, self-eliminating you know, loop, um, you, you are still journeying your complex path and you do have to be aware of all these possible interactions and changes. So I, I think you've been very meaningful here, Dan, today um, in very Have analytical I? in a positive way. <laughs> Have I? Well, yeah. that is my namesake. Uh, I'll take that. Thank you very much for that. Uh, I think it's important to think about these things. Uh, and before we move on, we have to think about something else that's very important. Uh, and that is this energy weapon. Uh, it's it's as close, I think, as we've seen to a lightsaber. Um, you know, I'm curious, Ben, uh, as our engineer, you know, there's a lot of sonic stuff going on here. It's not a light weapon. It doesn't seem to be made out of plasma. It's similar but different, but it's it's pretty cool, I think. Yeah, Dan, what's really interesting about this weapon is it seems to show how it confines the energy a lot better than a, a, a regular lightsaber in Star Wars. In Star Wars, all you see is the, the shaft of plasma. How is that staying there? It doesn't really make sense. What's really cool about this like double-sided staff that uh, Adam uses is you see the little, I think they're triangles, these little metal rings that, you know, are along the whole length of the weapon. And those could certainly be projecting a magnetic, uh, a magnetic field that could be containing plasma. So maybe it is a plasma and 
thankfully in this version of it, we can actually see how it's contained, unlike hmm. in the lightsaber. <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'm totally going with what Ben said there. I love this idea. I do think it's probably some form of what we would consider a plasma. What I also really like about it. Um, even though we hear a noise as the sound effect um, in, in the movie, um, I'm really intrigued about these effects where he slams it or moves it in quick ways and is clearly sending out an electromagnetic pulse of some sort. Mm -hmm. Because there is this interesting intersection that I had never thought about in a weapon. He throws people. Mm -hmm, now, right. now, stay with me for a moment. This is going to be a multi-step process. We okay. all know that water <laughs> is diamagnetic because we've all watched videos of floating frogs in superconductors. Right? We have, yeah. Mm -hmm. We right. have. I mean, obviously. And, and we also know that we actually have technology now where you can actually slightly levitate a person off a table, an operating table, through the same process because humans have a lot of water. And if you even just reduce the friction, they're easier to move during an operation. Mm -hmm. So given that this technology has the elusive, you know, energy revolution we're all looking for, it really made me wonder, you know, how large an electromagnetic, particularly a magnetic field pulse do you need to have this diamagnetic effect where you basically levitate? And in this case, levitate means throw in a direction away from you because you can right. levitate up or sideways. Um, sure, levitate right. people away from you. Um, I thought that was brilliant. I think this is like shockingly consistent with technology if we can get the right level of energy there in really interesting ways. It was one of the most creative weapons I've seen. And to your point, and to young Adam's point, it is basically a lightsaber for all practical purposes. Yeah. Well, I mean, I like that because it is really cool. And I think... You know, that's kind of science fiction affecting other science fiction. I almost said reality there for a second. Uh, <laughs> it doesn't quite exist yet. Ben's still working on a prototype. We'll get to that in a future episode. Uh, but I think, you know, it is a really cool application of what lightsabers are basically impossible by the by the way we see them on screen. But this is really close. And anything that uses the technology that can levitate a frog, I think, can be used both for good and evil. Ben, or Denon, uh, and Ben too, both of you guys, it's a warning to you. Uh, that's a little scary, but I, I do love utilizing that that theory. Well, I, I, I really, I, I'm just excited for Ben to break the engineering problems and for all of us to have our staffs. I also think it shows that Adam really maintains kind of his father's tradition of being a tinkerer and and goes to, to Ben's point goes we go from scientist father to engineer son because I have the sense that this is something he built for himself building on his father's breakthroughs in technology because I don't right. see anyone else pulling out this weapon um, and and he is the master of it so it's another example of engineers being the true hero of the movie. So who knows, man? <laughs> yeah, it's interesting yeah. that he, only he seems to have this weapon. Although all the, all the other soldiers seem to have some sort of plasma nightstick kind of thing. I don't know. Yeah. It, it's, yeah. it's cool. The, clearly, there's been both an energy and information revolution uh, in this universe. And, I, you know, I want to get in on some of that for sure. <laughs> 
I want you in on it as well. Uh, you know, I'm worried about the superhero, supervillain thing, uh, but I think we'll get to that. Uh, but before we get to that, we have to get to our errors, additions, and omissions section. Now, this is things that we wanted to talk about, but we didn't quite get to. Denon, is there anything on the Adam Project that fits one of those three categories for you? So, since we're at the end of our episode, I will put a spoiler alert on this. There's, It'll be subtle, um, but if you care about any level of spoilers, mute me for a moment. Um there is a great scene of a bullet being shot and changing its trajectory. Um, and what I love about this is, you know, bullets are definitely um, the right type of bullet. Definitely can be affected by a magnetic field. Magnetic forces become stronger when the velocity of the object is bigger. And so bullets have a high speed. You have a very high electromagnetic field. A bullet would curve in this situation. The only thing I found, like... I got it. It was very dramatic. This is a bullet that stops and then makes a 90-degree turn. That yeah, is not going to happen. That, that, was, that was paused for dramatic effect, right? Sure, but the bullet sure. would curve and, and make a 90-degree turn. It would just make it through a circular path, not mm. a stop and right-angle path. But it was one of my <laughs> most favorite physics of bullets moments of all time in a movie um, because of the combination of underlying realism combined with dramatic filming. Yeah, I mean, that stopped on a dime like an NBA player. Yeah. I mean, it shift directions like a running back. Uh, I don't know if I can have any more sports analogies, but it, it was definitely not physical. Uh, I mean, I did like that that visual issue. Well, I don't know. Like sports, they were playing around with uh, slow motion video there. So for all we know, Fair enough. It, you Fair know, enough. it did it did follow the proper circular path. Uh, although I do wonder, would it actually turn or would it just uh, would it have stayed in the same yaw as it started yeah yaw's important yeah yaw's important i think it all depends on where the center of the magnetic field is and what the actual structure in that room is (laughs) and what's happening and probably the shape Uh, of the bullet too and the shape of the bullet and the exact distribution of iron within the bullet yeah well i have to pause you guys here because the whole point of this section is things we wanted to talk about that we we weren't going to uh so so as ben is there anything other than the the chemical composition of this bullet that you wanted to talk about that we didn't get to well the other thing i just loved about this movie is i kind of saw it as a alternate timeline of the mcu you know we have mark ruffalo we have ryan reynolds we have zoe saldana all in there uh you know it's just it's just the mcu but in a time travel movie in an alternate (laughs) universe this is you know Earth uh, 43,000 or whatever. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I love that because, you know, I saw this as Back to the Future 4. Uh, there's, you know, or, or a remake of Back to the Future. There's so much stuff in this movie. I, I don't want to spoil it, but there's so many things that are in just such parallel with Back to the Future. Uh, you know, I think Mark Ruffalo's character is called the Godfather of Time Travel. Then, and hopefully, I will be referring to you, uh, referring to you as that in the future. Uh, I love that the drone is operated by a, an NES power glove. For those of you old enough to remember that, the power glove was one of the most useless peripherals for the Nintendo Entertainment System, but arguably one of the most powerful ones in the future. And to continue with my 1980s uh, theme, there's a point at the end of the movie where uh, the main the main bad guy yells, finish him in the middle of a fight, you know, channeling mm-hmm. her best uh, Cobra Kai from uh, or best uh, Crease from from the Karate Kid. Uh, but is anything that Dad, we I do missed- have to ask you a question in that. Sure? I'm sorry. I, no, I just no, have no, to ahead. say, it, is the fighter jet the natural evolution of the DeLorean then? 
Uh, yeah, I think it might be. I didn't have that okay. on my list here, but it might be. That's at the punch in coordinates, Denon. Uh, I think we yep. just added one. Uh, so if you're watching this, you look out for the parallels. I think it's it's worth worth looking for. Uh, the other thing worth looking for is us on social media. And you can get in touch with us easily. You can find the show on Twitter at FGGBTPod. We're on Facebook at FGGBT. But you can get in touch with individual members of the Brain Trust. Denon, where can people find you well people can find me on um twitter and instagram you just flip my name it's at denon michael and then you find me on facebook at prof denon michael um and in the future you're going to find me on whatever that new social media platform is we and we will keep it updated because it will change throughout the next hundred years uh, i'm sure <laughs> repeatedly uh but ben where can people find you at this moment what's the best way at this moment, you can find me on all the major social media networks at B Seepser. How do you spell that? You spell that B-S-I-E-P-S-E-R. And I am confident, given your consistency, uh, which is a definite, that is a defining characteristic, you will be B Seepser on any future social media platform. Uh, keep that in mind for anyone who's watching this many years in the future when we've become a cultural phenomenon and the foundation of the entire history of humanity is, is featured, is focused on what we teach in, in these episodes. But until then, you can find me on the social media that's available today. You can find me on Twitter at Daniel J. Glenn on Instagram at the Daniel J. Glenn on Facebook at Analytical Mastermind. And you can get in touch with the show via email for questions, correspondence, or a general inquiry. And that's questions at FGGBT.com. And if you're listening on your favorite podcast platform, make sure to rate and review and double check that you're subscribed. And if you're watching us on YouTube, hit the like button, subscribe, and ring that bell so you never miss an episode and you help us out with that algorithm. And finally, this show contains powerful scientific information that can be misused by those hell-bent on world domination. You are now in possession of it, and you have a choice between good or evil. So, as we always say, you want to be a superhero, never a supervillain. So until next time, thank you for listening. Fascinating Gadgets, Gizmos, and Gear-Based Technologies is a Glencoe production and is produced by me, Daniel J. Glenn. The Fascinating Gadgets, Gizmos, and Gear-Based Technologies introduction was produced by Daniel J. Glenn and Paul Springers with music and sound design written and performed by Paul Springers. Now, of course, if you're listening to this episode and you've gotten this far, you're going to want to subscribe. Well, how do you do that? We're on all the major podcasting platforms, including Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, TuneIn, Stitcher, and Spotify. But if you're not already subscribed to those platforms, I made it easy for you. Go to our website, fgbt.com. You'll find links to those subscribe buttons and also links to our social media, both for the show and for our individual experts, the members of the Brain Trust. That's all right there fgbt.com and before you leave don't forget to check out our other episodes you can find the link at the top of the page for everything we've got and you'll notice that we've got both a YouTube version and an audio only version depending on what you like we got it for you and if you do like those videos you can go ahead and subscribe to those as well we're on youtube.com backslash Daniel J. Glenn and once again if you like this show you're going to like everything that I do go to danieljglenn.com to find out more thank you for listening